Well, brothers and sisters, this is the final session in this conference on maintaining uh, a healthy Christian life and a healthy church life. And when I was considering uh, what messages to share for this conference, I chose this as the final message. This is a message that we gave, I think it's about two weekends ago, in the International Training for Elders and Responsible Ones in Anaheim. And I feel this is a very, very important word for all the saints in the Lord's recovery. Now, uh, you know, uh, this is a, don't look at the length of this outline. This is a long outline. So I'm, I'm mostly, you know, don't think, oh, no, we're going to be here till 5 o'clock. Uh, uh, I will mainly just read the outline. That's what I will mainly do, and I will make some comments on the outline. And so I think we'll be through in plenty of time for you to give some testimonies. Uh, I, my prayer for the brothers, the responsible brothers, and for us is that the outline, the reading of the outline, would become God's living word to each one of us. And so uh, I hope we could exercise, turn our heart to the Lord, exercise our spirit uh, uh, to, to really uh, get the Lord speaking to us in and from this outline, in and from this outline. Now, you'll notice that the title is Living the Kingdom Life by Living a Hidden Life. Now, when I was prayerfully studying this matter, uh, I had never before put together the kingdom life with a hidden life. Uh, to me, this was a new thought, a new thought from God's mind. I told the brothers this. Uh, this is, to me, this is a new thought, this is a new revelation, and this is a new vista that we need to see and enter into. Now, you can define the kingdom of God in many ways or many aspects that you could define the kingdom of God as. I will just uh, mention maybe a few. You know, in the kingdom of God we could say, is God's ruling, God's, the ruling of God, the reigning of God with all of his blessings and enjoyment. So it's God's ruling, God's reigning with all of the accompanying blessings of God and the enjoyment of God. And I would say this also, the kingdom of God is Christ himself as God's ruling presence within us. When Christ comes into us, he comes into us as the Lord. He's our Lord. So he comes into us as God's ruling presence. I love this. We need to be filled with God's ruling presence. That's a joy. That's the kingdom of God. Now, uh, the reason why I say Christ himself is the kingdom of God is in Luke 17, 20 and 21, the Lord told uh, 
the ones around him, he said the kingdom of God does not come with outward observation. He said the kingdom of God is among you. Now many people, uh, they translate that wrongly and they say the kingdom of God is within you, is within you. But what the Lord was saying was, is because I'm among you, the kingdom of God is among you. I am the kingdom of God. I am the ruling of God. I am the reigning of God. I am God's ruling presence among you. So the kingdom of God is Christ himself as God's ruling presence among us and within us. Now in Romans 14, 7 through 9, I really like these verses. It says this in verses 7 through 9 of Romans 14. It says, none of us lives to himself and none dies to himself. For whether we live, we live to the Lord. And whether we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Now, what does it mean to live to the Lord? To live to the Lord means that we live for his aims. We live for his goals. We live for his preferences. We live for his satisfaction. And we live for his desires. It's a little bit different than living for the Lord. You know, you can live for someone, but not live to someone. To live to someone is to live for their desires, aims, preferences, goals, and desires. For instance, uh, you could, uh, I'll just use myself as an example. You could, you could live for me. Let's say my wife lives for me. Uh, and she says, oh, I want to I wanna fix that healthy food. So I'm going to fix him sea cucumber. Now, all the Chinese-speaking saints know, knows what sea cucumber is, sea cucumber. Uh, actually, <laughs> I've had sea cucumber twice in the Far East. Chin Fu, you know sea cucumber. So Chin Fu probably likes it. He probably likes it, and his wife. They like it. Uh, a sea cucumber is actually a slug, S-L-U-G. You know that it crawls on the bottom of the ocean? And, uh, and the, most of the Chinese-speaking saints, they really like it. But to me, uh, I had to force myself to eat it. And so to me, it was like eating rubber. You know what I mean? Very, you know, and... Uh, so I had it twice, and I probably will never have it again. <laughs> so uh, you can feed it to Chin Fu, and if you do that, you're, you're doing something to him for his aims, his desires, his goals, his preferences, his desires. But if you give that to me, you're just doing it for me, not to me. If you give me, well, I'm sorry. If you give me pizza, then you're doing something to me because that's, that's something of my desire, something of my preference, something of my aim, something of my desire. Anyway, so living to the Lord 
We have to live not just for the Lord, but we have to live to the Lord. Now, the next verse, verse 9, is very telling. We might take this verse for granted. It says, for Christ died and lived again for this, for this. Why did Christ die and live again? Why did he die and resurrect? Why did he die and go into resurrection? It says he died and rose again for this. And then after it, it says that he might be Lord. I'll just stop there. That he might be Lord. In other words, he died and rose again so that he could come into us and be our Lord. He wants to be our Lord in practicality, experientially. He wants to be the one in us who decides for us, who, who rules and reigns within us. Uh, he wants to be our Lord experientially, subjectively, and in reality. That's a great thing for Christ to be your Lord, for Christ to be your Lord. That's why he died and rose again. The fact that he is our Lord means that we are in the reality of the kingdom life. Now, if we're going to live the kingdom life, we need to live a hidden life, a hidden life. Now, this outline is divided into four parts, four parts. The first part is the pattern of the Lord Jesus living a hidden life. Now, the Lord did a lot of things outwardly. But all those outward things he did came out of his hidden life with the Father. He had a hidden life with the Father. Hidden secret times with the Father. And all his work came out of that hidden life with the Father. Then the second part is on the kingdom people, that's us, the kingdom people living a hidden life in their righteous deeds. In their righteous deeds. So, uh, There's a portion of Matthew that says uh, when we give, we should give in secret. When we pray, we should pray in secret. When we fast, we should fast in secret. And in these portions of Matthew, it says our Father is in secret. And he sees in secret. So if we're going to be one with him, We need to be in secret, in secret. Then he sees what we're doing in secret, and he repays us outwardly for what we do. Then the third part of this outline will be on a God who hides himself. A God who hides himself. This is from Isaiah 45, 15. We have a booklet. The title of the booklet is A God Who Hides Himself. I would encourage you to read this. If you've read it already, I would encourage you to read it again prayerfully. Uh, there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot in that booklet. Now, the fourth part of the outline is, is from Isaiah 37, verse 31, which is very powerful. Uh, this shows that the kingdom life, Isaiah 37, 31 says this, that the remnant of the house of Judah will, they will live a life that takes root downward and bears fruit upward. If we're going to bear fruit, 
whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, the divine attributes filling our human virtues to become the fruit of the Spirit, and whether it's the fruit of increase, you know, a numerical increase, we have to take root downward and bear fruit upward. Uh, if we don't take root downward with the Lord, and we don't allow him to take root downward in our being, and we don't take root downward in his being, we, we don't have uh, the strength and the power to bear fruit upward. To bear. So we need both things. Take root downward and bear fruit upward. And uh, this verse is based on another book that we have called Deep Calls Unto Deep. I want to encourage you to read that booklet again prayerfully. A God who hides himself is by witness Lee. Deep calls into deep, deep calls unto deep is by Watchman Nee. And it's from a verse, Psalm 42, 7a, which says deep calls unto deep, which means only that which comes from our, the depths of our being can reach the depths of other people's being. And we'll see this as we read through the outline. Okay, now I'll begin to read through the outline. I know it's, it's, uh, it's after 2.20 in the afternoon, so we have to really exercise our spirit as I read through this outline. Okay, now I'll begin to read. Roman number one says, we need to learn from the pattern of the Lord living a hidden life and is going up to the mountain privately to pray. So he went up to the mountain privately to pray. Now A says, now, before I read A, what A points out is that the Lord fed, we know the Lord fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. That was a great, great miracle. A great miracle. And um, right after he performed that great miracle, if, if we had performed that great miracle, we would, have, we would have just remained in that success. We just, wow, 5,000 men. And not counting the women and children got fed with five loaves and two fish. Let's stay here and have testimonies about how this happened. But the Lord didn't do that. So A says... The Lord did not remain in the issue of the miracle with the crowds, the miracle of feeding 5,000 men apart from women and children, but he went away from them privately to be with the Father on the mountain in prayer. And so in verses 22 and 23, it says right after he did this, it says immediately, he compelled the disciples to step into the boat and go before him to the other side. That's a strong word. He compelled the disciples. And you get into the boat, you go to the other side. And it says, while he sent the crowds away. So he, he compelled the disciples to leave him, go to the other side of the lake. He sent the crowds away. It says, and after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain privately to pray. And when night fell, he was there alone. He was there alone. So one says, the Lord compelled the disciples to leave him 
in order that he might have more time to pray privately to the Father. Now, saints, if the Lord wanted more time, this is the Lord Jesus, he wanted more time to pray privately to the Father. How much more do we need more time? So we need to pray. We need to pray. Lord, give me more time to pray privately to you. Give me more time, Lord. Uh, I'm not satisfied with, with the amount of time I spend with you privately. Give me more time to pray privately to you. Now, if you look in the ministry, uh, there's portions in the ministry, many different portions in the ministry. Let's say we should spend 10 minutes with the Lord in the morning. Other places say we should spend 15 minutes with the Lord in the morning. Other places say we should spend 20 minutes. If you get the book at a time with the Lord, it says we should spend 30 minutes with the Lord. I can find another place in the ministry says we should spend 45 minutes with the Lord. Another place in the ministry says we should spend an hour with the Lord. Take your pick. Take your pick. You see, uh, the point is, is that in brotherly sharing this, he was desperate that we would spend time with the Lord. So uh, we should look to the Lord in the full-time training in Anaheim, full-time training here in London. We have all the trainees. We separate 30 minutes for them to spend personal time with the Lord. 30 minutes. And so I think we should all look to the Lord. If we spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we should, we should pray, Lord, uh, this is from the booklet, A Time with the Lord. We should say, Lord, I like to build up my time with you until I can spend regularly, regularly with you 30 minutes to pray privately to you. And the Lord will answer our prayer. He loves us. He wants, he wants private times with us. And so uh, I believe since the Lord wanted to have more time to pray privately to the Father, we should want to have more time to pray privately to the Father. Okay, now two says he needed to pray, well, let me back up on praying privately to the Father. You know, uh, let's see if I brought this book up here. Yeah, I did. No, I didn't. I did it. I forgot. Oh, Lord Jesus, must be jet lag. No, I did bring it up. <laughs> I did bring it <laughs> Okay, there's this book called Contacting the Lord, Being Filled in Spirit, and Having Proper Christian Meetings for the Accomplishment of God's Eternal Purpose. I would encourage you to get this book and to read it. Uh, Brother gave these messages in Las Vegas, of all places. Listen, the ministry can still speak in a place named Las Vegas. And there's two chapters in this book about spending time privately with the Lord. And in this book, Brother Lee points out that in the first seven years of his Christian life, he was with a group of Christians that knew the Bible very well. They really knew the Bible. But they just knew the Bible doctrinally, doctrinally, not experientially, not subjectively, 
but just doctrinally, just in the realm of the mind. And so one day, he was walking on the street, and the Spirit spoke to him and said to him, look, you have all this Bible knowledge, but look at how dead you are. Look at how dead you are. And look at how fruitless you are. And so he got so convicted by the Spirit that the next day, he, there was a, a, a small mountain near his home. He went up to that mountain privately to pray. And he cried out to the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. He confessed his sins. He wept. Uh, he got filled with the Spirit. And so he spent private time with the Lord on that mountain for seven straight months. That's what the book says. For seven straight months, he spent private time with the Lord. And uh, what happened was, after that, spending that private time with the Lord, or during that time period, he came down from the mountain, and one of his colleagues, they were by the seashore, uh, where he grew up was in a town named Chifu in mainland China, and it was on the, on the sea, on the, near the ocean. And so he and his colleague were, they were near the ocean, and Brother Lee was sharing with him about salvation, salvation, and his salvation experience. And, and so uh, this person, his colleague, he prayed to receive the Lord. And then he said to Brother Lee, he said, he said, I can get baptized right now. Look, there's water, a lot of water, right? And so he asked Brother Lee to baptize him. And Brother Lee was hesitant. You know, he was hesitant at first. And oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not qualified to baptize anyone. Of course, all of us are qualified to, now we realize, if you preach the gospel and someone believes in the Christ, you are qualified to baptize them into Christ. And so he baptized his colleague into Christ, into the death of Christ, into the body of Christ, and into the triune God. And so one person became his brother. Then uh, some other persons he preached the gospel to got saved, got baptized, and got affected by his testimony, his shining out Christ. You know, we sang this hymn, Pray to Fellowship with Jesus, bathing in his countenance, saturated with his beauty, radiate his excellence. So by being saturated with God's beauty and radiating God's excellence, other people got attracted to Christ. Well, he got saturated with Christ's beauty on that mountain. Then he came down from the mountain and he radiated Christ's excellence in the people. So eventually the church in Chifu was raised up. A local church in that city was raised up. Now, how did that local church get raised up? It got raised up by one person spending personal private, intimate time with the Lord. So saints, a lot of things can issue out of us. A lot of divine and mystical things can happen through us if we go up to our mountain, quote, 
Maybe we don't. There's not a mountain in London, a physical mountain. But we need to go up. We need to go up apart from the crowds, apart from everything. Put everything aside and spend time privately to pray to the Father. Then many things spontaneously will issue out from us, will issue out from us. So two under A says he needed to pray privately to the Father who was in the heavens so that he might be one with the Father and have the Father with him in whatever he did on earth for the establishing of the kingdom of the heavens. He did this not in the deserted place, but on the mountain, leaving all the people, even his disciples, so that he might be alone to contact the Father. B says we should treasure three phrases, to be with the Father on the mountain and in prayer. To be with the Father on the mountain and in prayer. Now look at number one. To pray with others is good, but often we need to pray by ourselves. When we pray with others, we cannot enjoy the Lord as deeply as when we pray to the Lord privately. You know, I found out that a lot of young people, uh, they have morning revival on their phones uh, with another person. And that's not bad. I don't have a phone like that. I still have a flip phone. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. My wife wants me to get, you know, an iPhone, and I haven't given in yet, you know. But anyway, uh, a, lot of, a lot of young people, they pray. They pray with one another over the phone. Well, that's good. That's good. But that's not sufficient. That's not sufficient. To pray with others is good, but often we need to pray by ourselves. When we pray with others, we cannot enjoy the Lord as deeply as when we pray to the Lord privately. If you're praying with others, that's good. But you can't confide in the Lord when you're with someone else. You can't say to the Lord, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm so lukewarm, Lord. I'm so dead, Lord. Make me burning for you. Uh, make me on fire for you. If I was praying with Jim, we could pray, read the word together. We could enjoy the Lord together. But I couldn't say in Jim's presence, oh, Lord, I'm so dead. He would go, wow, I didn't know Ed Marks was dead. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, he might be discouraged, right? And I would say, oh, Lord, I'm so lukewarm. He said, I never knew Ed was lukewarm. Or I might say, oh, Lord, I'm having a hard time breaking through in this area. You see, but when you pray privately, you can pray things like this to the Lord. You can confide in the Lord. You can open up things to the Lord that you can't open up when you're with someone else. You can be honest with the Lord. You can have honest talks with the Lord. And then the Lord has a way to get through in you. The Lord has a way to grow in you. And when you put all of our growth and life together, that is the building up of the body of Christ. So we need to pray to the Lord privately. Two says, even the Lord Jesus told us that when we pray, we should shut our door privately and pray to the Father who sees in secret. Then we have the sensation of how intimate he is to us and how close 
we are to him. You know, we have that song in our hymnal 255, which says, I'm breathing out my sorrow. I'm breathing out my sin. I'm breathing, breathing, breathing all thy fullness in. Then there's a line in that hymn that says, teach me how to pour into your bosom all my life of self and sin. You see, again, I use Jim and I as an example. I couldn't pour into Jim's bosom all my life of self and sin. That would discourage him, right? Say, oh my goodness, Ed's full of himself, right? (laughs) But the Lord... <laughs> but the Lord can take it. The Lord knows you're full of self and sin. He knows that. He knows exactly where you are. So you can pour into your pour into his bosom all your life of self and sin. Then when you do that, that gives him that gives you the opening, then you open to him and you, that gives you the way to breathe in all his fullness. So that's hymn 255. I love that. I love that hymn. I'm breathing, breathing, breathing all thy fullness in. Now, Matthew 6 6 is from the part of Matthew that's the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens. It's from, it's a portion, Matthew 5 through 7 on the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. And the Lord says in Matthew 6, 6, he says, but you, when you pray, enter into your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret shall repay you. You see, so all of us need to have a private room that we go to. Now, we might not have a physical private room, but we should have a private place that we go to, some private place. Maybe it's the corner of our corner of our house. Maybe maybe we take a walk with the Lord, have a private time with him. Uh, You know, John Wesley, John Wesley's house is here in London. I visited it. I, I encourage you to go visit it. He built this house for himself. When he built his house, he built a room specially to go to and pray. It was his prayer room. Listen, if you're building a house, build a prayer room. If you're ever building your own house, it's good to build a room like that. But, saints, we need to, uh, he says, but you, when you pray, enter into your private room and shut your door. So the trainees, I'll see them in the morning, They'll go to a corner of the meeting hall. Some of them are taking a walk, spending time with the Lord privately. That's their private room. And they shut their door. uh, And they pray to their father who is in secret. And their father who sees in secret repays them, repays them. Now, how does the father repay us? Sometimes he repays us with an answer to our private prayers, to our intercessory prayers. Many times he repays us by giving us more of his presence. What is greater than having the Lord's presence and being filled with the Lord's presence? So we need to practice Matthew 6, 6 to have the sensation of how intimate he is to us and how close we are to him. 
You know, I've shared this testimony before. When I was in Taipei, um, I forget what year that was. Jim and Lisa were there then. And um, I was there... I was there for over 40 days. I had, I had planned to be there for 40 days because we were about to have our fourth child. So I said, 40 days I'm here, uh, then I'll go back in time for us to have our fourth child together, Ruth and I. Uh, well, uh, Brother Lee called me over to Hall 1. He said, Ed, I want you to help to work on the life lessons. We have a book called Life Lessons, which was translated from the Chinese. And so uh, Brother Minoru Chen and I, we were working together on that. So Minoru said to me, he said, uh, he said, Ed, you've got to, you've got to tell Brother Lee that, that your wife's about to have a baby. You've got to tell him. So I went to Brother Lee and uh, and I said, I said to Brother Lee, I said, I said, Brother Lee, I, I, I went to the calendar. So Brother Lee came over to the calendar. I said, Brother Lee, my wife's going to have a baby here. And uh, he said, don't worry yet. We'll be done by here. We'll be done by here. Then we walked out of the room, and Manuro said to me, Ed, we'll never be done by that. We'll never be done by that. And I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And I was getting these SOS letters from my wife. You know, as save, oh, save. Like, when are you going to come home? You know, uh, I need you desperately. Uh, so uh, one day, I went to the roof of Hall 1. And I had a personal time with the Lord. And, and uh, I won't tell you what I prayed, but but the Lord got through in me. The Lord got through in me. My anxiety was gone. I enjoyed the Lord. I touched the Lord. And then I came down the stairs, and Brother Lee was walking this way right toward me. He looked at me and said, go home, Brother Ed, go home. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, Brother Lee. And then... Uh, he called Menorah and I in his office, Menorah and I and Felisa. Felisa was like his secretary. And he said, he kind of slapped me on the back. He said, Ed's heart went home two weeks ago. Ed's heart went home two weeks ago, which was true. Which was true. He knew that. He knew that. But anyway, I realized that, listen, I got home just in time for that baby to come. Just in time. We had a little car. We had three children, and then we had to buy a big minivan for four children. And so anyway, uh, but in Taiwan, I realized if I'm going to make it here, even if I'm going to make it and preach the gospel, I need to spend time with the Lord privately. How can you preach the gospel if you don't get bathed in the Lord's countenance every day, right? How are you going to radiate his excellence to others if you don't bathe in his countenance? So I was in Hall 3 before I was in Hall 1. In Hall 3, I said, oh, I've got to get to the roof, spend time with the Lord privately. So uh, I got to the roof, and there were people all over the roof. There were people all over the roof. I said, what am I going to do? 
you know, they were all praying. And so what I did is I went up to the roof, put a chair by the wall, by the, a certain portion of the wall on the roof, and I put my hands like this. This was my private room. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, I need you right now. And the Lord, listen, where there's a will, there's a way. And I really got infused with God just by praying that way. So my point is, is enter into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. He will repay you. So we need to have a private place to pray to the Lord, to pray to the Lord. Now, three says we have to learn to leave the crowds, our family, I'm sorry, our family, our friends, and the saints in the church to go to a higher level, to, to, to go to a higher level on a high mountain. We have to go higher, far away from the earthly things on a lower level. We need to get to a higher level, separated from the crowd, to be with the Father privately and secretly to have intimate fellowship with him. Now, Roman numeral 2 says the principle of the kingdom people is that they have a hidden life, not performing their righteous deeds before men, deeds such as giving, praying, and fasting. A says regarding each of the three illustrations that's in these portions of the word up here, The Lord used the word secret. Our Father is in secret, and he sees in secret. The kingdom people, as children of the Heavenly Father, must live in and care for the Father's secret and hidden presence. And I just think it's marvelous that in the church life, uh, you know, many times, we may we may give we may we may realize someone has a need, but we give to them in secret. We we give to the church, we designate the offering for this certain person, and then the offering comes to that person, and that person has no idea who get, who gave that offering to them. That the Lord honors that. That means you gave in secret. You gave in secret. Uh, there was this sister, uh, I've shared this before. Uh, anyway, she's with the Lord now. This was in Houston. And, and she was, uh, I don't know if she was a scientist or what, but she was a very renowned person, a very renowned person in her field at the medical center. And, you know, the saints are really something. The brothers and sisters, don't you love the brothers and sisters? You know, no one advertises who they are. You know, but sometimes we have some people among us that are brilliant, that are, that are just, you know, when Ben's and Phillips and I used to go to Boston, everybody there is just, you know, they're just brilliant. Ben's and I felt like used car salesmen when we were there. You know, we're just, what are we doing there, you know? Uh, but anyway, this sister... Ruth and I, we didn't know where our next meal was coming from this one time. And there was a knock on the door, and this sister, who was very renowned in her field, uh, in the medical center, she came with two bags 
two big bags full of food. Now, you can't put those in the offering box, right? But she did this in secret. No one knew she was doing this. And I don't know how she knew we were so needy. But she came. She went to the kitchen. She put the groceries in the refrigerator. She put groceries in the cabinets. And she said, praise the Lord, saints. See you later. And she left. I said, there was an angel here visiting us. I mean, what in the world? And uh, that was just awesome. That was awesome. She did that in secret. She didn't advertise that to the saints, but she gave in secret. And I enjoy in the church life that we do that. Many times in the church life, we have to ask where the offering boxes are, right? We don't pass a plate. When, when I was a young person, I was in a denomination, they would pass a plate around. And I was a naughty junior hire. I didn't know the Lord. And they would pass the plate, and I would go, oh. I would see who gave what, right? I was, wow, pass the plate. But we have to ask many times, where's the offering box, right? And so we give in secret. We give in secret. So B says, the kingdom people who live in an emptied and humbled spirit and walk in a pure and single heart under the heavenly ruling of the kingdom are not allowed to do anything in the flesh for the praise of men, but must do all things in the spirit for the pleasing of their heavenly father. C says, the effect of doing our righteous deeds in secret is that the flesh and the self are killed. If people in society and even in degraded Christendom are not allowed to make a show of their good deeds, they will not do them. The self loves to be glorified and the flesh loves to be gazed upon. D says the saints who grow openly do not grow in a healthy way. We all need some secret growth in life, some secret experiences of Christ. We need to pray to the Lord, worship the Lord, contact the Lord, and fellowship with the Lord in a secret way. E says, we should pray much, yet not let others know how much we pray. If we pray every day without telling others or letting them know about it, it means that we are healthy and that we are growing. F says, the kingdom people must have some experience of prayer in their private room contacting their heavenly father in secret, experiencing some secret enjoyment of the father, and receiving some secret answer from him. Jesus says, anytime we exhibit ourselves in our righteous deeds, we are not healthy. Such an exhibition greatly frustrates our growth in life. Our human life loves to make a display, a public show. But God's life is always hidden. A hypocrite is one who has an outward manifestation without having anything within. I says, now I is very encouraging. We can never practice living a hidden life in secret in our natural life. It's impossible. It is possible only in the divine life. The life that does not enjoy making a show. If we are serious about being the kingdom people, we must learn to live by the hidden life of our Father. Jay says, the universe indicates that God is hidden. 
that God is secret. If we love others by the love of God, this love will always remain hidden. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral 3. Roman numeral 3 is a quote from Isaiah 45, 15. It says, Surely you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Now, saints, there's an entire book in the Bible that talks about a God who hides himself. An entire book in the Bible. This book in the Bible doesn't even mention the name of God one time. And that book in the Bible is the book of Esther. Is the book of Esther. And um, the subject of Esther, let me read you the subject of Esther. And I encourage you, I reread the book of Esther while, while since I've been here. Very marvelous story. The subject is the very God who chose Israel as his elect, becoming a hidden God to them, taking care of them secretly, and to save them openly while acting in secrecy during their captivity among the Gentile nations. So this hiding God, this hidden God, he saved God's people from annihilation, from annihilation. Haman, who is the, who is the evil person in this story of Esther, he wanted to destroy all the Jews in the, in the land. He wanted to commit genocide, actually genocide. And so the two positive persons in this book are Esther and Mordecai, Mordecai and Esther. So uh, Mordecai, he tells Esther, he says, Esther, you have to go to the Persian king. She was one of the wives of the Persian king at that time who was named Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus. And um, Ahasuerus, he really loved Esther. He really loved Esther. Uh, but uh, what, um, and of course she was Jewish, but she hid her, her Jewishness. She didn't let anyone know she was Jewish. And Mordecai told her, don't do this, don't do this. But Mordecai told her at this time, after Haman's plot, you have to go to the king and, and tell him the race of people you're from. Tell him that you're Jewish, that you're a Jew. And you need to plead with the king uh, not to, you know, to, she wanted to thwart Haman's plot to kill all God's people. The only way she, she could thwart that plot was by going to the king of Persia. And it was risky to go to the king of Persia because you couldn't just walk in to the king. Nobody could just walk in. If you walked in unannounced, you could be executed. You could be executed unless he held out his scepter to you. Well, she walked, she told Mordecai, she said, okay. She said, I want you to, I want you to ask all the people to fast for me, to fast for me. And then she said, I will fast also. But she didn't say fast and pray. She didn't say fast and pray to God. She said fast. God's name wasn't mentioned. Because God, in this book, is a hiding God. So she went into the king. The king held out his scepter. And then he said, Esther, 
He was glad to see Esther. He said, Esther, what do you want? I'll give it to you even if it's half my kingdom. Half my kingdom. Well, anyway, I'm sorry, I can't get into the whole story of Esther. But eventually, through Esther, you know, Mordecai told her, if you hold, if you don't say something, be assured that deliverance of our people will come from another place. Be assured. He was sure. He had the faith that God would deliver them. But he said, he said to Esther, who knows whether you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this, for such a time as this. Saints, we've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this that we're in right now to bring the Lord back. So um, she said, tell the people to fast. I'll fast. Then I'll go into the king. And so she went into the king. And to make a long story short, eventually Haman, who was the the bad person, uh, he was eventually executed by the king. All of God's people were rescued from annihilation. Mordecai was, uh, you know, okay, I need to watch my time here. You know, Mordecai found out early in the book that two of, two of Ahasuerus' attendants were going to assassinate him. We're going to assassinate him. And so he told Esther this. He said, tell the king this. So Esther told the king, these two people are going are gonna to try to assassinate you. And, and she said, she mentioned Mordecai's name. And, and so that assassination plot was thwarted. Those two people were executed. And then uh, it was written in a book, in a book. You know, the, the Persians had a book of people's deeds. Well, Haman, he was very high uh, in, uh, in his position in the kingdom. And um, one time the king couldn't sleep. And so he looked in the records of the king, kings of Persia. He just couldn't sleep. So he looked in the records and he found out that Mordecai had saved him from assassination. And then he said to his attendants, what has been done for this man? Has anything been done for him? And they said, no. He said, we need to do something for him. We need to honor him. And so uh, uh, Haman came into the king's presence just before Haman came into the king's presence, Morde, Morde, uh, the, king, the king said, was thinking about what shall I do for this man? How can I honor him? So he asked Haman, what should I do uh, for the man that I want to honor? Well, Haman thought it was him. And Haman hated Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him. So, so uh, what shall I do for the man the king wants to honor? He thought it's him. He said, oh, you should put him on a, on, a, on, a, on a great horse, put the royal robes on him, you know, have him ride through the streets, and people shout, this is the man 
the king wants to honor. You know, so uh, he thought it was him. And so the king says, okay, bring Mordecai here. <laughs> he was like, what? He says, bring Mordecai here. This is what I'm going to do for Mordecai. Anyway, you know, the whole situation got turned. The whole situation got turned. I'm just telling you a little bit of the story. You'll want to read it, I hope, after what I share with you. Uh, But anyway, the name of God is not mentioned. God's people got rescued from annihilation through the the God-trusting, God-contacting people who were Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai and Esther. We need to be such people experiencing the hiding God. Now, A says, believers may know God as the Almighty One, as the Righteous One, as the One full of grace and compassion, but as the One who hides Himself, He is unknown to them. B says, God does countless things in the midst of His people and countless things in their personal lives, yet He conceals Himself. One says, God likes concealment, but we like display. God does not crave outward manifestations, but we cannot be content without them. Two says God was obviously with Elijah on Mount Carmel, but when God withheld his manifest presence, Elijah could not bear it. Now Elijah was running away from Jezebel. Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah, so Elijah went up went up this mountain, he hid himself in a cave, and then after he hid himself in a cave, uh, the Lord told him, go out and stand upon the mountain before Jehovah. And so he stood upon the mountain before Jehovah, and suddenly, it says, suddenly there was a great wind, but Jehovah wasn't in the wind. Then there was a great earthquake, Jehovah wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was a great fire. Jehovah wasn't in the fire. Then there was a gentle, quiet voice. That's where Jehovah was. He was in that gentle, quiet voice. That's how the Lord speaks to us, gently and quietly. So A says, God knew that Elijah wanted him to be a God who would manifest himself. He had not realized that God is a God who hides himself. B says, God was not in the great and strong wind. He was not in the earthquake, and he was not in the fire. Instead, God spoke to Elijah in a gentle, quiet voice. C says, the fact that God spoke to Elijah in a gentle, quiet voice indicates that God was ushering Elijah into the New Testament age in which God speaks to his people not by thundering, but gently and quietly. And, of course, 1 John 2.27 says the anointing which we have received from God abides in us. And that anointing is the moving, operating, and working of the the, uh, compound life-giving spirit in our spirit to anoint us and saturate us with all the ingredients of the trained God. And that anointing, that moving of the spirit... In, the, in that moving of the Spirit, there is God's gentle and quiet voice. 
Dean says Elijah said to God that he was the only faithful one left, but God very gently answered Elijah by saying that he had reserved for himself 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal. You know, when I read this, especially in Romans 11, saints, we need to pray, Lord, reserve me for yourself. Reserve me for yourself. I want to be one of your overcomers, part of your overcoming bride. Reserve me for yourself. E says, Elijah had reckoned the situation only with what he could see. But God is a God who hides himself. He had secretly reserved for himself 7,000 overcomers who had not bowed the knee to Baal. God's activity was so hidden that not even the prophet Elijah knew anything about it. C says we need to realize the hidden nature of God's working. We should not think that only mighty influences, great visions, and tremendous revelations are of God. God's surest work is done in the secret of our beings. One says the more we serve the Lord, the more we abide in him, the more we realize that God is a very quiet God, so quiet that his presence is often undetected. Two said his most intimate way of guiding us is so natural that we scarcely perceive he is guiding us at all. Yet somehow we have been led. It is often, often by this quiet inward activity of God that we receive our greatest guidances. D says, when the only begotten son came for the purpose of declaring God, he hid him in a human life, a human life whose appearance was marred, a human life that had no attracting form nor majesty. One says he came from Galilee, an insignificant province, and from the town of Nazareth, a small town of which it was said by the Jews that no prophet or person of repute ever came from there, ever came from there. Now, I believe I may be wrong. According, I'm using my memory here, but I believe it was Andrew who said to Nathaniel, he said, Nathaniel, you know, I found the Messiah, the one that's been born of Joseph, who's from Nazareth. Well, that was wrong. He wasn't born of Joseph. He was born of Mary. And his father was God. He said, he's the one who's been born of Joseph, the one who's from, who, who was born in Nazareth. We well, wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born secretly in Bethlehem. Then he moved to Nazareth. You see? So uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was Philip. Maybe someone can look at John 145. Uh, anyway, he told this to Nathaniel or to Philip or Andrew. Uh, and, uh, and Nathaniel said to him, can anything good be from Nazareth? And I enjoyed, oh, it was Philip. I'm sorry, it was Philip. Philip said to him, I like what Philip said to him. He didn't have the doctrine right. He didn't know the truth so well. But he said, come and see. Come and see. That's what we need to do with the church life. Maybe we're not so clear about things. Just tell people to come and see. You know, I was a very new one in the church life, and I brought this other person who was newer than me to a meeting. And uh, this person said to me after the meeting, uh, 
this person said, Ed, what is the church life? And I, I just, I didn't know what the church life was. What is the church life? So I said, I remembered that song. We love the church life, eating, drinking, breathing Jesus. So I said, the church life is eating, drinking, and breathing Jesus. And so the new one said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But I realized I need to get into the word and into the ministry to find out what the church life really is in its fullness, you know. Uh, But the best thing sometimes is to just say, come and see. Okay, two says, thus when he appeared, people found it hard to believe that God was present in him. They found it hard even to believe that he was a prophet of God. Yet God was hidden within Jesus of Nazareth. Three says also Jesus of Nazareth belonged to a poor home and grew up to be a carpenter, a very ordinary carpenter, working in a very small way until he was 30. Who would have ever thought that he was indwelt by the infinite God? He says if you study the scriptures carefully, you will see that God has the kind of temperament that dislikes ostentation. He likes to work secretly rather than openly. So all these verses tell us this, show us this. In Matthew 17, when he brought Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he was transfigured before them. He was speaking with Moses and Elijah. Uh, It says, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them. He said, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, we have been there. We say, tell everybody this vision. Wasn't this fantastic? But Jesus didn't do that. Now, in John 20, 14 through 17, Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb, and the the tomb where Jesus was buried, and the tomb was empty. And then uh, she was distraught. And so... uh, she turned backward. It says she beheld Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Then she thought he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. And she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And so Jesus said to her, Mary. And as soon as he said to her, Mary, She knew it was Jesus. She knew it was Jesus. And so she said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. And so the Lord appeared to her in a secret way. We know in Luke 24, 13 through 37, that there were two disciples going down from Jerusalem to Emmaus, to a town called Emmaus. And they they were speaking with one another about what had taken place. Uh, with Jesus being crucified. And, and it says, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus drew near and went with them. Sometimes Jesus, Jesus' presence is with us, but we're not conscious of it. We're not conscious of his presence. So Jesus drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, and Jesus said to them, said, what are these words which you are exchanging exchanging with one another while you're walking. Of course, he was God. He knew what was going on. But he said, what are these words that you're talking to one another about? And uh, 
And he said, do you, one of them said, do you alone dwell as a stranger in Jerusalem and not know the things which have taken place in it in these days? And then Jesus said, what things? Well, those things happened to him. But he said, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene. You know, we thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. He was crucified. And moreover, it's the third day since these things took place. And said, and uh, anyway, you know, to make a long story short, you need to read this later. He told them, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he explained to them clearly in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you would have thought right then that they would have recognized him because he explained in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, but they didn't recognize him. So as they drew near to the village where they were going, he acted as though he was going to go farther. So they constrained him saying, stay with us. So as they were eating, he took the loaf, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he began handing it to them. And as he began handing it to them, it says their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from them. You imagine that? He disappeared from them. And so they ran back to Jerusalem, and they told the disciples that Jesus had appeared to them. In John 20, 24 through 29, we know the story about Thomas. Thomas had missed the first meeting in resurrection where the Lord appeared to the disciples. So he said, unless I put my hand in, the, in his hands and feel the nail prints and put my hand in his side, you know, where the spear went, he said, I will by no means believe. Well, eight days later, the doors were shut and Jesus appeared to them. Even though the doors were shut, Jesus appeared to them. He made a special visit to Thomas. He said, Thomas, you know, put your finger in, the, in my wounds and your hand in my side and be no longer unbelieving, but be believing, be believing. And Thomas said to Jesus, I like what he said to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. Saints, Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our God. And then he said, he said to Thomas, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. That's us. We haven't seen the Lord physically, but we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our God. Now, in Isaiah 39, 2 through 8, we have the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was ill unto death. He got healed by the Lord. The king of Babylon, um, he found out that Hezekiah was healed, and so he sent emissaries with letters from him and a gift for Hezekiah. So Hezekiah was, was very touched with this. And it says, Hezekiah was glad for them, and he showed them his treasury. He showed them the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil. Showed them his whole army and everything, his whole armory, and everything which was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. 
Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And so he told them, told Isaiah this. He said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah said, they have seen everything that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And so Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of Jehovah. The days are coming when everything that is in your house and that your fathers have laid up as a treasure unto this day will be carried away to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Now, what does that indicate? That indicates that the treasures that we have from Christ, the riches we have of Christ, we shouldn't expose all those riches to people. If we expose all those riches to people the way Hezekiah did, then nothing will be left. We have to have some secret experiences of Christ, some secret enjoyment of Christ. We shouldn't display everything to people, right? Uh, We'll see as we go on here. Uh, We should have some hidden experiences of Christ, some hidden treasures of Christ, and that, that bolsters and strengthens when we fellowship with the saints, that bolsters our fellowship, that strengthens our fellowship, that anoints our fellowship. But we, we reserve uh, certain things that are just between us and the Lord. And to do that, we have to follow the anointing spirit. The anointing spirit will say, share just that much. We still have to share. We have to testify, right? We have to fellowship in the body. But there's certain things that we need, to, we need to treasure up in our being in a secret way. So one says, whom having not seen you love, into whom though not seeing him at present yet believing, you exult with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. It is a wonder and a mystery that the believers love one whom they have not seen. Two says, since the resurrection of the Lord, the chief discipline for his followers has come along the line of knowing him as a God who hides himself. Three says everything of God's economy with Christ as its centrality and universality is not in the seen realm, but in the unseen atmosphere and realm of faith. F says when we are most conscious of impotence, God is most powerfully present. One says the God who hides himself is at work within our lives, and he is working mightily. Our responsibility is to to cooperate with him by responding to his voice within, that gentle, quiet voice, that voice that seems so much a part of our own feelings that we scarcely recognize it as a voice at all. To that voice registered in the deepest depths of our being, we must say amen. For there secretly and ceaselessly, the God who hides himself is working. Now we come to Roman numeral 4. Psalm 42.7 says, deep calls unto deep. A says, others can respond deep within to only what issues from deep within us. Anything that is not from the depths will never reach the depths of others. B says the kingdom life is a life in the depths, a life that can take root downward and bear fruit upward. A life that can take root downward and bear fruit upward. 
Now, saints, um, all of our bearing fruit should come from our taking root downward, our taking root downward, our unseen uh, experiences with the Lord, our unseen growth in the Lord, our unseen enjoyment of the Lord, then we will bear much fruit. We will bear much fruit. And the fact that in Europe, so much is going on in Europe, uh, so many people are being added to the churches, it, to me it's an evidence that many of us are taking root downward, or taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. On the other hand, I would say this, it's easy uh, for, we get so busy, even in work for the Lord, that we don't, our secret time with the Lord uh, gets less and less. Instead, it becomes more and more. And the quality of our, our hidden time with the Lord isn't, may not be as special as it used to be. So we need to take root downward have special, secret, hidden times with the Lord, especially in the morning, so that we can bear fruit upward. Now, C says, on the one hand, we need... C is very illuminating. On the one hand, we need to allow Christ as the seed of life to take root deep in the soil of our heart as the good earth, as the good earth. On the other hand, we as living plants in Christ need to take root deep in the soil of the all-inclusive Christ as the reality of the good land. So on the one hand, he takes root deep within us. We want our heart to be the good earth for him to take root deeply in us and grow in us and bear much fruit in us uh, for his multiplication, his glorification. On the other hand, the Bible reveals in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 that we've been rooted in Christ as the good land. He's the soil in whom we've been rooted, and we need to take root deeply in him. So there's this mutual rooting. He takes root deeply in us. We take root deeply in him. And, uh, and in the Colossians Life Study, it mentions again and again, take time to absorb him. Take time every day to absorb him. Now, one says the good earth, the good earth signifies the good, earth, the good heart that is not hardened by worldly traffic, which is the wayside, that is without hidden sins, that's the soil with rocks, that is without the anxiety of the age and the deceitfulness of riches, that's the soil with thorns. We need to daily allow the Lord to deal with these things in our heart so that we can grow with the growth of God. We need to pray, Lord, make my heart the good earth for you to grow in. Now, two says, because we have been planted in Christ as the reality of the good land, we need to take time to absorb him, especially in our times with him in the morning. Now, D, I've already shared this, while the sower sowed, some seeds fell beside the way, some on the rocky places, some into the thorns, and some into the good earth. This shows us four different ways for men to receive the word. Now, one is very important. The Lord Jesus tells us that among these different conditions, one is the rocky places. There is a little earth on the surface, but underneath there are rocks. 
when the seed falls into this kind of ground, it springs up quickly. But as soon as the sun comes out, it withers because of the lack of root. The lack of root. So if you look at your recovery version, there's a note on this. It says the rocks can be hidden sins. It can be personal desires. It can be self-seeking. It can be ambition. Rocks can be self-pity. How about that? Doesn't self-pity? Have you ever pitied yourself? You said, oh no, woe is me. Let's have a pity party for me. Right? Well, when you pity yourself like that, that's a rock that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be dealt with. Now notice that in this in this section of Matthew 13, it says that some seed fell in the rocky places where they did not have much earth. Where they did not have much earth. And I've always wondered what that meant. They did not have much earth. You know, we've seen some people come among, the, come among us and they spring up quickly. You think, oh, wow, look at this person. They haven't been around that long. And they just boom, they just spring up quickly. And then they're, then, then they're gone. Because the sun comes up. The sun comes up. If you have rocks in your heart, you don't deal with those rocks every day. The sun comes up on all of us. What does the sun signify? It signifies trials. It signifies tribulations. It signifies sufferings. It signifies pressures. Uh, it signifies heat and pressure. All of us. Uh, go through sufferings, we go through tribulations, we go through heat, we go through pressure. And if, if, you're root, if you allow the Lord to be deeply rooted in you, that sun will help you to grow. It will help you to grow. But if you have rocks that are undealt with in your heart, the sun will be a death blow to you. So you have two choices. I'll... I'll, I'll uh, bend the language to give you these two choices. You can either have life grow or death blow. Life grow or death blow. We don't want the sun to be a death blow to us. We want life to grow in us. Now, what is, what is the little earth on the surface? What this signifies is this. Everyone who lives by his feelings or in his circumstances is on shallow ground. So we shouldn't live by our feelings and we shouldn't live in our circumstances. That's shallow ground. If we, if, we had, if we live by our feelings, we wouldn't be here today, right? Sometimes you don't, you don't feel. You might not feel like coming to the meetings. You might not feel like getting into the Word. You shouldn't live by your feelings, Right? You shouldn't live in your circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances are adverse. You know, when the Lord told the disciples to go to the other shore, it says the wind was contrary to them. The wind was contrary to them. And saints, it is a, when you are on your journey in your Christian life, the wind will be contrary to you. The wind will be contrary to you. But, of course, Jesus walked on the water, eventually came in the boat, the wind ceased, and they arrived at the land where he told them to go to, where he told them to go to. 
And that was in the fourth watch of the night, which is the darkest time, the darkest time. And Jesus will be there at the darkest time with you. So don't live by your feelings. Don't live in your circumstances. Now, two says, what is a root? It is growth that occurs beneath the soil. What are the leaves? This is growth that occurs above the soil. Three says, in other words, roots are the hidden life, whereas leaves are the manifest life. The trouble with many Christians is that while there is much apparent life, there is very little secret life. In other words, there is a lack of a hidden life. Four says, if all your experiences are manifested, then all your growth is upward. There is no downward growth. If this is the case, you are a person who has only leaves without root, and you are on shallow ground. The Christian who parades all his virtues before men and does not have anything in the depth of his being has no root. He will not be able to stand in the day of trial and temptation. May God work in us so that we can take root downward. Then E says we need deep experiences of Christ like that of the Apostle Paul. Paul said he was a man in Christ. He said 14 years ago, 14 years ago, uh, he said such a one, which is him, was caught away to the third heaven. And then he said also, I know such a man. Uh, He was caught away into paradise. Can you imagine if you were caught away into the third heaven and you were caught away into paradise? I believe the next day you would be telling the saints, saints, I was caught away to the third heaven. I went to paradise. All the saints would be, what? You know, they would be shocked. But Paul didn't tell anyone that he had been to those places for 14 years. He kept that secret for 14 years, and he only divulged it because he had to vindicate his apostolic authority to the Corinthians. So he said he was caught away into paradise, and he heard unspeakable words which it is not allowed for a man to speak. So not only was Paul caught away to the third heavens, not only was he caught away to paradise, he heard unspeakable words, which it, which it is not lawful for a man to speak. To this day, we don't know what God spoke to Paul because he didn't speak it. He didn't speak it. So one says Paul was caught away to the third heaven and caught away into paradise, but he did not divulge his experience until 14 years later. Paul's roots were deep beneath the soil. Two says if we want to have Paul's work, then we need to have Paul's root. If we want to have Paul's outward conduct, then we need to have Paul's inner life. If we want to have Paul's manifest power, then we need to have Paul's secret experience. This does not mean that we should not testify, and that's very important. Of course we need to testify. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't testify, but we must realize that many experiences need to be hidden. Four says to be without root is to be without any hidden treasure. It is to be without any hidden life or hidden experiences. It is essential that some of our experiences remain covered. To uncover everything is to lose everything. F says, whatever secrets we have with the Lord must be preserved. 
Only if he moves within us to reveal something, dare we reveal it. If he wants to share some experience with a brother, we dare not withhold it. If he wants us to share an experience with our saints, we shouldn't withhold it. That's a benefit to the body of Christ. And and the sentence goes on, if we withheld it, that would be violating a law of the members of the body of Christ, which is the law of fellowship. One says we need to learn what the body of Christ is and what the flow of life among the members is. But we also need to learn the need for safeguarding the hidden part we have before the Lord, the experiences of Christ that are not known to others. Two says if our life has no depth, our superficial work will only affect others' lives superficially, only deep calls unto deep. Then Jesus from Hosea 14, 5 through 7, it says a pure and beautiful spiritual life is derived from inward, hidden, and uninterrupted fellowship with God. Hence, he will bud like the lily. He will send forth his roots like the trees of Lebanon. This kind of life is capable of bearing much fruit. So to be like a lily means that we live a simple, pure life of trusting in God in the midst of an intermixed and complicated situation. We live a simple, pure life of trusting in God. Why do we bud like the lily? Because we send forth our roots like the trees of Lebanon. The trees of Lebanon are cedars. Remember in Psalm 92, it says, He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. He shall bear fruit in old age. Even in your old age, you bear fruit. And you're full of sap, S-A-P. You're full of sap. That means you're full of the Spirit. You're full of sap and you're green. You're green. You're fresh, just like the Lord. Uh, Saints, the older we get, the greener we should become. The older we get in the Lord, the fresher we should be with the Lord. You know, one brother gave a testimony in New York City when I was there. He said that he looked up, looked up uh, the word cedar in the encyclopedia and, and trees. You know, encyclopedias are good to get some, some knowledge of what the Lord's saying here. So uh, anyway, he said that he found out that most trees... They, the, the roots go downward, but then they go outward. They, they go outward. But a cedar tree, a cedar tree in Lebanon, the roots go way down deep. He said some of them go, go down 100 feet deep. Can you imagine that? And then, then they spread out. Then they spread out. So if we're going to grow like a cedar in Lebanon, we need to, we need to take root downward and bear fruit upward. Now, H says, in order to live a life in the depths, it is necessary to have direct and intimate fellowship with the Lord. Song of Songs 4.12 says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my bride, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. One says, at this point in her spiritual progress, the Lord's loving seeker has become a garden for Christ's private satisfaction. 
Two says she is not an open garden, but an enclosed garden. All that she has is for her beloved's delight and for no one else. Three says if today's believers would close up a little more and seal up tighter, their work would become more prevailing. Then the final point says, may the Lord grant us grace. Oh Lord, grant us all grace, Lord. And do a deeper work in us through the cross so that we may strike deep roots and live a hidden life in the depths to fulfill God's requirements and satisfy his heart. And saints, I want to emphasize again, we need to be come back to the beginning of the message. Every day, we need to spend time with the Father on the mountain in prayer. We need to begin our day by having a secret, hidden, intimate, close, special time with the Lord. And then we will take root downward and we will bear fruit upward. We will bear fruit upward. Um, This is living the kingdom life by living a hidden life. And so I'm so thankful. There's still plenty of time for you to share. Isn't it amazing we got through this outline? Hallelujah. And it's, there's, there's 20 minutes left in the meeting. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's pray with our neighbor for a minute, and then the brothers will direct us.